Give Theory a Chance. In this episode, we are joined by Ricarda Hammer, a PhD candidate in sociology at Brown University and a graduate fellow at Brown Center for the Study of Slavery and Justice. Ricarda discusses the powerful insights Hall provides on a wide range of sociological areas of inquiry, including culture, identity, race, and rethinking the relationship between the metropole and the colony. Ricarda also reflects on the joys and transformative experience of engaging with Hall's work. Hi, Ricarda. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. We are here today to talk about Stuart Hall. I'm wondering if you could get us going by just giving a short introduction to who he was or what he was known for. It's actually quite daunting to define who Stuart Hall was because he really exceeds any kind of category we may want to put him in. But he was one of the most important public intellectuals of his lifetime, uh, the later half of the 20th century. And he deeply shaped how we think about questions of identity, belonging, political ideology, culture, race, and colonialism. And I would say his voice was important because he spoke from the place of being a diaspora intellectual. So by that, I mean that he was born in Jamaica in 1932 at a time when Jamaica was a British colony. And then he came to England to study at Oxford in 1951. And growing up in a British colony at the time meant that he was, of course, deeply immersed in British culture. He read Shakespeare and the English classics in school. And in fact, he knew the English better than they knew themselves. And yet, he comes to Oxford and it becomes very clear to him that this was an institution that was not made for him. So he says, you know, it becomes very clear that he would never fit in and he felt himself an other. And because of that biography, I would say he he begins to think very deeply about questions of identity, of who we are and how we ground ourselves. Um, he, he writes about questions of race and, and our sense of self and how we make meaning. And I think it is this specific experience, this position of being in but not off Europe, that really shapes all of his writings. So even when he's not talking specifically about race or, or the, the legacies of colonialism, it is still very much part of his analyses. And this is important because Stuart Hall's voice, and, and it was a very popular one, particularly in the British public sphere, in a sense gave a platform for so many scholars and artists and just ordinary people who were similarly a product of the British Empire, who were minorities in Britain, but who didn't find their stories reflected in the hegemonic national narrative of what Britishness could could or could not be. And I would say that Hall did so much to explain this position and, in a sense, affirm these identities. So I'm really curious because, as you pointed out, Stuart Hall was one of these thinkers that transcended just being known in academia, and he transcended disciplines as well. But do you have a sense that he's widely read in the larger discipline of sociology, and I guess to be even more specific in the American version of sociology? This is really quite a peculiar situation because despite his immense influence in in Britain, but also internationally, and his vast corpus I don't think that Stuart Hall is generally part of the sociological theory curriculum. And we may speculate as to why that is. Stuart Hall is widely seen as the founder of cultural studies, which 
somehow we see it as distinct from sociology, but it is important to note that he really was not very interested in some kind of a disciplinary policing or, or academic knowledge reproduction, but rather his motivation was to think deeply about a specific political or, or historical moment that he was living through and to make sense of it. And he created theories and heuristics to, to better understand this moment. So while his approach has come to be associated with cultural studies, I would argue that his concern is really profoundly sociological in the sense that he's trying to understand how we give meaning to social actions or how power operates in society and so forth. So his sociological work also really overcomes a, a set of binaries that sociologists think about all the time. You know, the, the subjective and the subjective, the past and the present, theory and practice, the national and the national, the here and the there, and so forth. So all these concerns are important for sociologists writing today. You mentioned that he's not commonly part of the curriculum yeah. in the United States within sociology. Do you get a sense that he has influence in particular pockets within sociology, mm. potentially your areas of expertise, um, thinking about post-colonial studies or uh, studies of race, or is it just that he doesn't have that same cultural capital here? Yeah, similarly. I mean, he, he could speak to so many sociological subfields, you know, sociology of race, migration, post-colonial sociology, but, but also, you know, political sociology, cultural sociology, criminology. But no, my sense is that we, we do not engage his work perhaps as much as we should. So then how did you first hear about, if we could travel back to the first time you encountered Stuart Hall's writings or even the, the idea of this person being out there, where did you first become aware of Stuart Hall? I actually can't remember whether I first read his work or whether I heard him on the radio or, or saw him on TV. But what I can tell you is that engaging with Stuart Hall was incredibly transformative. Um, and I actually don't think one forgets engaging with Hall because it is as if he's speaking directly to you. It's as if he's having a dialogue with you. And he really asks us as his readers to think about our own biographies and our own identities and also to never stop engaging the political world we live in. So while his thinking is incredibly sophisticated, he doesn't really write in a complicated way and you can hear his voice in his writings so engaging with his work stays with you it, it does stay with you in that answer you said two pretty astounding things when we're thinking about a sociologist or, or uh, someone who studies culture the first was that you said that you didn't write in an overly complicated way and i'd love to hear more about your experience with his actual writing but the other thing that was really interesting as you pointed out the first time you may have became aware of him was potentially through the radio or even tv which is something we don't often think about so was stuart hall commonly on the radio or, or television right yes that is really indicative of who Stuart Hall was because, you know, the, the sociologist Ben Carrington has pointed out that at the height of his career, Stuart Hall was a very widely known figure and he could have probably had an endowed chair in the top universities in the world. And instead, he chose to become a professor at the Open University, which is really a, a kind of digital university where you record lectures and you broadcast them. And the idea behind that was that Stuart Hall wanted to reach 
a wider audience. He wasn't really interested in, you know, as he says, teaching those who were already privileged to be in university, but to, to teach everyone. And he was an incredibly popular figure on TV and always really engaging in public discourse. So even his writings, even though, you know, they are very theoretically rich, they are what he called interventions. They are interventions in a particular political moments and the purpose is for them to speak to a, a wider audience. So what was it that kept drawing you back to his writing other than clearly you're talking about the style and the transformative effect that it could have but I was wondering if there were specific things whether they were topics that he was exploring or whether particular concepts that he allowed you to understand what was the appeal that made you keep returning and continue to return even at this point in your career? Right so I would say for I, I, I return to hope for, for personal and academic reasons. So the personal is that Hall writes really powerfully on identity, what it means to make sense of our own stories. He, he writes about belonging and, and what it means to be home. And I think this is so foundational to who we are and what we strive for that I really love reading his writings on that. And then academically, I began to develop an interest in politics and anti-colonial politics in the British Empire and the British Caribbean specifically. And I was beginning to wonder whether I could write a thesis on democratization that does not focus on the the British Isles as a story of freedom and democracy in which post-colonial immigrants by the 1950s come to be incorporated in, in quotation marks, but rather whether I could escape this methodological nationalism and tell an entangled history of politics between England and Jamaica, where we begin to see how and why questions of the rights of Englishmen, as they called it, came to be racialized through the colonial project. So even in my academic work, Hall's work became incredibly central. Was this the central concept that you built on in your own research or as you move forward? Yes. The concept that I really took from Hall is the ability to analyze the metropole and the colony in one social relation and in one analytical framework. You know, in sociology, we've seen a real push towards post-colonial sociology, that is to center colonialism, empire, and, and racial formations to the story of modernity. All these Global processes were central to the making of modern society and, and also our knowledge of modernity. And the problem is that we, you know, to use the sociologist Julian Goh's phrase, we often analytically bifurcate the sociologies of the metropole and the colony. And in my work, I really tried to overcome the separation and instead begin to tell a story of the formation of political rights that unites these entangled histories. Would you be willing to talk a bit more about your research? Because this idea is so fascinating and powerful. What did your research look like or what did you study? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, as I said, historical sociology tends to tell a fairly truncated story of democratization in England. Uh, it's a sort of story of a gradual expansion of rights to the metropolitan population, often through class struggle. And then 
By the 20th century, we begin to use this language of incorporating colonial, post-colonial migrants into this democratic body politic. And I thought, okay, so how can I tell this story differently in a, in a less nation-centric way? Because, you know, Britain really wasn't a nation throughout its history. And what I tried to do is to show how West Indians, and I focus specifically on Jamaica, how Jamaica has been part of this political story for a long time. And so I did archival research to trace the entangled history of of who gets political rights. And as I said, we begin to see that for settlers in Jamaica, English settlers, the rights of Englishmen are a racialized category. And we begin to see how English conceptions of freedom really meant something very specific, and they never incorporated the political agency of, of black Jamaicans. And importantly, if we tell the story this way, then by the time we get to the 20th century, by the time we see West Indian migration to Britain, these migrants, yes, are allowed to participate in, in British democracy, but it is already a white body politic. So, so their incorporation depends on coming in as immigrants. They are socially constructed as outside the body politic, even though they've been part of the British imperial relation for such a long time. When you were doing this type of research, you mentioned that was archival research, mm-hmm. uh, and this is going a little bit away from our discussion of Stuart Hall, but I'm curious, what were the archives and documents you were accessing to mm-hmm. build this argument? Yes, yeah, so I, I basically jumped between archives in, in Britain and in London specifically. So I focused on the colonial office and uh, British Library, etc., as well as Jamaican and national archives. So the documents that I looked at are really the political struggles of colonial officials, experts, legal scholars at the time who tried to negotiate this idea of the British imperial ideology of the equality of rights, the idea of British freedom, and square that with the racialized governance that they needed to maintain a plantation society in Jamaica and even after the abolition of slavery. And then when it came to the story of um, the, the empire crumbling and West Indians coming to Britain, I again looked through the immigration debates, the, the state archives, to see how state policy, but also really social scientists, began to transform this group of people who were colonial subjects. They had a British passport and the legal residence to to come to Britain and state officials and social scientists began to construct them as immigrants, meaning they began to draw a distinction between us and them. And that is a period that in sociology we tend to assume as a sort of teleological process between, you know, the empire ends and the nation begins. But what I'm seeing in the archives is that that is a process that was constructed. And that is a process that really allowed Britain to forget its empire and to situate those people that were so foundational to, you know, British wealth creation as outside of this history. And we continue to see the implications of this today. This is a little bit more of an abstract question. Mm -hmm. Do you still find yourself directly engaging with Stuart Hall and saying, you know, this either pushes back against his ideas or extends some of his ideas? Or is it that he's just this foundational person who's always kind of already there as you're doing the research? Yes. 
I think it's so the, just yes to both. <laughs> I think I think yes, it's both, and it's very much the latter. I mean, Stuart Hall is on every page of my dissertation. He has this wonderful quote where he observes post-war Britain, and you know, he observes this moment where the metropolitan population is stunned that all of a sudden you see this migration from the colonies and, you know, and people are really surprised. And someone put that question to him and he said, well, you know, we are here because you were there. And so what he does is to say, you know, the question really isn't so much one of incorporation or it's, it's also really not about creating conditions of equality of opportunity for populations that are racialized as black or as whites, albeit important. But rather, the point is to think about a narrative of self, to think about a narrative of Britain that really makes clear and acknowledges that British history is an imperial history. And what maybe, you know, my most favorite part of all of his writings is that he says, as a colonial subject, as a Jamaican, he says, I am the sugar at the bottom of the English cup of tea. And he says, he takes this object that is really the symbol of Englishness, the cup of tea. And he says that this cup of tea that you associate with Englishness rests on sugar production in the Caribbean plantation. And then he says, well, and what is the tea? The tea the tea does not grow in rural England. It comes from India. So the empire is really part of what Britain is and always has been. And I think it's that framework that stuck with me the most because that gives us the impulse to say, okay, what we need to work on is not how we can better incorporate someone or even, you know, assimilate someone. Rather, the point is to say, how can we change our narrative of self so we can better understand the causes of this migration in the first place? Are there other scholars, and this could be other classic theorists or even contemporary scholars uh, that are writing today, that you feel like you can combine Stuart Hall's ideas with and they resonate particularly well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Henry Louis Gates Jr. has called Stuart Hall the W.E.B. Du Bois of Britain. And I think there's a lot to be gained from putting these two thinkers in conversation, particularly now that U.S. sociology is reclaiming Du Bois as its founding father. So, you know, they are both thinkers who, to use Du Bois's words, have the gift of second sight. Stuart Hall is born in Jamaica and comes to Britain. He's, he's black in Britain and he's in but not off Britain. And that positionality really allows him to know the English better than they know themselves. He's able to see the colonial legacies and that vast reservoir of the racial unconscious, the hegemonic national formations in ways that those who are in Britain and grew up in Britain may not. And Du Bois similarly is a black man in America and therefore behind a veil whereby white America is unable to truly see him. You know, they see a racialized projection of him, but they can't really see him. And yet Du Bois is able to look out from under the veil and he sees the operation of whiteness. He sees the distortions of white racial governance. 
So epistemically, I would say both thinkers really represent the subaltern standpoint. They, they, have a, they have an insight into how Western societies and, and racialized societies, you know, societies that have been deeply shaped by empire operate. And, you know, more than that, both of them engage with Marxism, but they, they go beyond it in their own ways. They, they center colonialism in the making of the modern world. They apply this global perspective in their writings. Du Bois perhaps writes more explicitly about race. Sturthal comes to this racial discourse a bit later in his life. We can talk about why, but both really have a theory of how the cultural and the symbolic interact with material conditions. And I think there's a lot to be explored in, in putting the two together. Yeah, and in social theory, we're, like you're saying, we're starting to see in the various readers that circulate around and are used in a classroom, now Du Bois is always included, but it's still incredibly rare. And I can't even think of a single one I've, I've found that has Stuart Hall. Once in a while, you're seeing after Du Bois, you might pair him with someone like Fanon, but even that's rare mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's really important that as we begin to engage with Du Bois, that we see that he's not the only one who brings this kind of perspective to the table, but rather Du Bois is one amongst many thinkers who explain how and why colonialism matters and continues to matter in our understanding of the modern world. So it's important to see him not as, you know, a sort of sole intellectual who we use to answer the race question or the colonialism question, but rather to allow us to explore how sociology can begin to engage seriously with our, our colonial legacy. This is another one of those a little bit more abstract questions, but I'm really curious, especially at your stage in your intellectual career trajectory. How has your relationship to Stuart Hall's work changed since that first encounter, whether (laughs) what you were trying to remember, whether it was in an actual writing or whether it was TV or the radio, but that moment where you saw this transformational figure. But now you're a scholar who engages directly with his ideas and produces your own work and attends conferences and organizes events around these type of Mm -hmm question. So I'm wondering, has has anything shifted since that initial encounter? Yeah, so, you know, building on what we were talking about, I think I've been thinking a lot about how Hall can be situated as a black political thinker. That is, often we engage with Stuart Hall as this incredibly sophisticated voice helping us to understand culture and ideology and media and representation and politics. But really, when he talks, you see that he begins a lot of his analyses with the phrase, well, I was born in Jamaica. And so I think it is important to see how even when Hall does not explicitly talk about questions of race or colonialism, his experience as a colonial subject and then later as a racialized diasporic subject in Britain really marks all of his writings. So that is something that that is becoming more and more clear as I engage more of, of Hall's work. And, you know, he has written so much, I'm, I'm far from done. What, what is interesting is that Hall, as opposed to Du Bois, who has this very famous, you know, childhood moment where he realizes that he's black, Hall does not articulate his blackness the moment he comes to Britain. You know, he says that the language for staking your identity position as black really emerged with the movements of the, the 60s and the 70s. But, and that, you know, and that is where he begins to really see himself as a black British writer and, and yet diasporic. But nevertheless, 
it is very clear to me that his entire life is shaped by the experience of colonialism. You know, growing up in Jamaica, a society where your status can be read by the, the shade of the color of your skin, to then arriving in Oxford and having this profound feeling of being out of place and, and then, you know, being the only person of color on the editorial board on the New Left Review. And, you know, so this, this feeling of out of placeness is very central to his entire life experience and he becomes very articulate about the profound historical amnesia of empire and the deep racial undercurrents structuring British society but also in Western societies more broadly. As a final question, but I'm wondering if you could reflect back on your own research, on your own experience in the classroom, your own experience reading these works, the times you've encountered Stuart Hall on the, on the radio or watching lectures. What would you say is the reason if you're going to try to sell Stuart Hall to undergrads, to grad students, and really to the larger discipline and saying this is a central figure that we should engage with and everyone should be reading at some point in their career. How would you go about selling Stuart Hall to us? Okay, um, three reasons. First, I think Stuart Hall is really fun to read. I, you know, he, he is a theorist, but he's not difficult. And I think he's just a real pleasure to read. And he invites you to reflect about your own biography and your own identity and how it gets made through living in particular historical moments. You know, as I said, his own biography basically meant that he felt this place in Jamaica and he felt this place in Oxford. And then he says, you know, I, I've lived in England for 50 years and yet I, I can't really call it home. I will never be English. And at least what it did to me is that it really made me think quite carefully about my own biography. And I think he invites us to reflect about our own lives. So it's, it's a real pleasure to read. That would be my first selling point. And then secondly, I think he, he teaches us how to think or how, how to do social analysis. And in so doing, he really redefines what theory is and can be. You know, he's a, he's a deeply historical thinker. So he takes stock of how history gives us materials through which identities can be formulated. You know, he says that identities are formed in an interaction with the narratives and discourses out there. So they may feel as if they come from inside of us, but really we need what we may call repertoires of meaning to enunciate, to articulate who we are. So he turns to history to think about how different historical forces, you know, create narratives that are meaningful or not so meaningful. And it, I guess it is important to say also that even though he always thinks about how the past influences and bleeds into the present, this theory of history is not path dependent. You know, he's not saying that history really shapes everything we do, but rather he tries to understand how history carries over into the present and gives us cultural materials to work with. And then in particular crises, what he calls conjunctures, new possibilities open up that previously have been unthinkable. And this, you know, his deep historical grounding, I think, is something we need in sociology. And it's fruitful to understand our current moment. And with that, you know, for, for a general public or really anyone, I, I think to me the reason for engaging with sociological theory is that it helps us understand our specific moment better. And for that, Hall is foundational. For example, he, he wrote a, a popular piece on the emergence of Thatcherism. 
you know, new way of doing politics in the 1980s in Britain. And he's saying that this is not a normal electoral swing. Rather, this is a change in paradigm. He says that with Mrs. Thatcher, we begin to associate the free market with freedom, what, you know, today we may call neoliberalism. Stuart Hall really calls neoliberalism before it was fashionable to do so. He says that Mrs. Thatcher changed the terms of the debate, um, where we begin to see everything in terms of the market. And then she positioned herself as on the side of the common people. And it was, in fact, the opposition party, the Labour Party, that was symbolic for bureaucracy and, you know, sort of became the political villain. And he points out that Mrs. Thatcher combined this way of positioning herself with a real sort of law and order rhetoric, suppressing racial tensions and enshrining racial governance. So, so if that doesn't ring true... <laughs> Or understanding our contemporary politics, I don't, I don't know what will. Yeah, then yeah, social theory yeah. is helpless if we can't. Yeah, if yeah. we can't make those connections. So you know, and even this idea of the sh the sugar and the cup of tea that we talked about earlier, I think even that is helpful because you know, oftentimes it may seem to us that all of a sudden we live in an age where there is a migration crisis in quotation marks. You know, all of a sudden we have these migrants showing up in the U.S. at the, at the southern border. And I think what Stuart Hall would ask us to think about quite carefully is, well, what are the global connections that, in a sense, enable these population movements? You know, what are the ways in which the U.S., for example, to take this example of the, of the southern border, what are the ways in which the U.S. has been involved in Central America that have shaped the political situation there, that has forced these people to leave their homes and to migrate? So what is our sugar, so to speak, in the in cup of tea? What are the, the silenced global connections that we are not necessarily seeing? And I think all allows us to just think harder, think harder about our political moment, think beyond what may be obvious. And this perspective, the subaltern perspective also makes clear that in social theory there is really a space for all of our perspectives that's a, that's a perfect place to end the podcast so thank you again for joining us thank you for helping us walk through the ideas of Stuart Hall and providing such a powerful place to end the conversation of course thank you for having me appreciation goes to Jeffrey Gilbert for providing our theme music undergraduate sociologists Beth Heberger, Alicia Rios, and Simone Graham for their help with the project, and most importantly, on behalf of me, Kyle Green, thank you for giving theory a chance.